Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. I want to tell you guys that the recordings are getting up. Oh. Um, what I've got so far that I have downloaded is lessons one through nine. Lesson 10 seems to be missing. Lesson 11 I have. And then after that, I have the lessons we did in December, uh, right around Christmas. So I think I have three or four of them in December that we did. Um, and I can, I can send them out if anyone needs any of them, but they're on the website and they're easy to find. I mean, you have to kind of look for them a little, but they're there and you can find them and they're, they're done well. Uh, they give the date of them rather than the session number. So that's why I'm a little not sure what, uh, I would say it's probably like 16 through 19, something like that. So anyway, uh, that might help if anyone wants to look for them. They are up there now, and that probably would be a help. Yeah. All right. I want to look today at, uh, at some things that we have. Uh, and I did send the notes out to those of you who get them. Uh, I sent the last week's notes, and then I said, well, that was from last week, so I had to send this week's notes out. So this week's came out yesterday. And here is what we're going to do. We're going to start with our prefixes. Start with our prefixes, uh, continuing with them. And we have three that are very similar, inter, intra, and intro. Uh, very similar prefixes. Inter and intra, however, are quite different from each other. They look similar, but they're quite different in meaning. Intro is kind of like, uh, is kind of like, um, is kind of like, uh, kind of like intra. Intra and intro are kind of alike, except that intra seems to be used more with nouns, and intro seems to be used more with verbs. But we'll take a look at this. Inter. It's one you guys have all seen. Between, among. We have a lot of English words with this. Intercollegiate, for example, is a word you might see if you like if you like football or sports. What would what would intercollegiate mean? If you hear the word intercollegiate, hello, Tom. Like among colleges, right? So if you have teams that are if you have games that are taking place intercollegiate, that means it's between colleges. Yeah. If you interact with something, you act among various things. Okay, if you interact with friends, you're doing things with them. Uh, interfere, if you interfere with something, you kind of put yourself in between things. Uh, intercess, that's a good word. I didn't give you all these words, but, there, but it is intercess. So if I intercede for you, intercede is the verb form, inter intercess is another past tense. So if I intercede for you with someone, I get in between you and them and try to convince them that you're not such a bad person, or maybe try to convince you that they're not such a bad person. So I'm acting between you and someone else. Anybody think of other words with intercessory? Well, I get to, then that vein, intercessory prayer. Yep. Intercessory prayer. I was thinking prayer. the same thing. Intercessory prayer is prayer when you go to God on someone else's behalf. Right. Yeah, that's, that's good. There's intermingle. Intercept. Intermingle. You intermingle. You mingle with or among other people. A whole bunch of people get together and intermingle, talk to each other and that sort of thing. Anything else? 
Interception. Inter what? I'm sorry. Intersect or intersection. All right. Intersect is something that intersects. It cuts, literally, sect, the sect part means to cut. And so it cuts in within each other. So like you have one street going into another street and that's called an intersection. Yeah. Uh, inter- the word interface. Interface. Good one. Interface. If you interface, really, I guess what you're doing is you're putting your face between someone in someone else's face. Uh, something like that, really. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, interrupt. Interplay. Oh. Interplay. Yeah. So, yeah, all those. All interrupt. Those interrupt. Your, what you're doing then, you're breaking into or in among someone's conversation. You're getting between two other people who are talking and breaking in. That <laughs> reminds me of my third grade teacher. She was an old New England lady. And if you interrupted something, she'd say, don't break in. I didn't know what she was talking about at first. And <laughs> she yelled at someone for that. Don't interpret, break in. I, would interpret do that too? Is, or is that a different thing? Interpret? I believe it would. Uh, but I don't know the pret. I'm not sure of the root of that. But yes, if you interpret, yes, if you interpret, you explain it's, between there's two no, languages, like from one language to another. There isn't a preto or something. Like well, I, in French, I'm trying to think. Pretra, what's pretra, Carla? Is there a pretra? I don't that I can think of. Don't remember no, it right offhand. For some What's reason, the Spanish pre- word for that? Is it interpretar or something? Uh, yeah, interpretar. Yeah, interpretar. Yeah. So there's interprete is an interpreter. Yeah. Okay. So there's no. Um, there is. No inter- there is pretra in French. Oh, there is. What's it mean? Do you remember? Uh, can I think like je peux like I can. That's pouvoir. But I I don't know. I'll try to find that out because, um, but you're exactly correct. It's the same prefix. It's the same prefix. It's just the stress is different. So I wasn't sure if it was the same prefix. No, I believe believe it is. I believe that it is Um, because you're going between two things again. Uh, And I'm sure there are others. Interrogate or interrogate. Interrogate. Good one, Ninette. Inter between and rogo to ask. So you're like, sometimes you can't always exactly take it, but you're asking uh, maybe between you and someone else what they're doing, you know, what that person is doing. Yeah. Um, or actually, in linguistically, we see interrogative more. Yeah, interrogative. Yeah. A pronoun that asks questions, for example, is an interrogative pronoun. Yeah. How about intercept? Something like that. Intercept. Or? Good one. Intercept. You, you sept, the sept part means to, to take or to receive. And you intercept, you get in the middle in the way of it and receive something on its way to someone else. It's like interpose. you intercept. Yeah. Interpose. Pose is pono to place. You place, yeah, we, we had that word last week, I think. You place yeah. something in between something else. What like about intersperse? Intersperse is yes, it is too. Um, you scatter the spare sparse thing is scatter. You scatter things among other things. Yeah. So all those are intercontinental. Good. Intercontinental. Um. Yeah. Between. Now there, be careful. We'll talk. Keep that one in your mind when we do this next prefix. Intercontinental means um, what? Between continents. Okay. Between different continents. Like an intercontinental system would be between Europe and Asia and America and so forth. Intracontinental would be within a certain continent. Okay. Internet. Nobody mentioned internet. 
the internet. That's, true. that's uh, in tear and net. The net is the thing that covers, you know, it's a, a network and the internet, you know, it, it's a network between a whole bunch of different places. So that's a good one. Now, intra is kind of opposite of inter in a way. It means within, inside. And so if you had intracollegiate teams, intracollegiate, that would mean. Uh, or uh, just that one college? Just that one college or just that one type of, of college, right. It wouldn't be as. You know, and there may not even, I don't even know if there is a word intracollegiate, come to think of it. But how about intramural? There's a word yeah. you used to hear quite yeah, a lot. Inside the wall. Intramural means that you're playing within the school only. You're yeah. not playing with anyone else. You're only playing this game within a particular school. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was someone saying something? The walls of the school. That's right. The, the walls. Mural, mural means wall. Uh, anyone else think of any with intra? Intrastate. Say that again, Beth. Like, instead of interstate com commerce, you have intrastate, intrastate commerce. Okay, and that would mean within the state. Yes, that would mean right. within your own state. It wouldn't cover. Yeah, interstate's another good one for inter. So inter and intra really are, are kind of opposites in a way sometimes. One is within and one is more shared. The inter one is more shared. Um. Anyone else think of any with intra? I'm sure there are others. I couldn't think of any right offhand. Intramural is the one I, I intravenous. See. Intravenous. Okay, good. Within the veins. Yeah, within the veins. Yeah. Venus, the or, venous part. Or introvert. <laughs> intra what? Introvert. 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 That's the next one. That's got that's with an O. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yes, that would be the one with the O. And, and see, that's the intro and intra are very similar. The difference is that intra is, seems to be used more with noun roots, like murus, like wall, like uh, state, like collegiate, whereas the intro is used more with verbs. Okay, so let's look at that one. Yeah. Um, introduce. Introduce means really to, lead to bring someone in, to lead someone in, yeah. uh, within. Okay. Intra, what did you say? Intravenous, within the veins, to put blood, you know, inside your veins or something. That would be uh, any, anyone else? Anything else for intro? Oh, I had said introvert, but. Oh. Introvert. Okay, introvert would be to turn in. If you're an introvert, within yourself. <laughs> yeah, you're within your shirt. Where if you're an extrovert, yeah, didn't we have extra a few weeks ago? I think we did. It means you're turning outside. You like to talk to being outside of yourself. All right, uh, and you can you can notice these as you go along in your life. You know, notice these, and and it'll help you to figure the meaning of a lot of words out. Um, if I were teaching you guys and grading you, I would tell you, bring me an example of these as you see them in your world, and you can get some points. So I used to call them living Latin legacies. 
I do that with my students. I, when we really? do prefixes and things. I tell them, bring examples. And we used to do it. If you saw anything related to Latin, bring it in. And some of them would go and look in books and stuff. And I always told them, I really don't want you to do that. I want you to see it as it meets you in your world. That's what I want. I don't want you to go to a book and look it up. I want you to tell me how you really see it, you know. One of my students brought something in pig Latin in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. To oh, <laughs> that's funny. I don't even know uh, where pig Latin came from. I mean, somebody. Do you know it. about pig Latin? Pig, does everybody know about pig Latin since we're talking about pig Latin? Does everybody know what it is? How, how it works? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you put an A on the end of all the words like Carla. Your name would be Carla. Carla K. Carla Carla K. K. You know, yeah. Now, my grandmother knew a form of pig Latin that was very different from that. And I do, I wish now I'd ask her to explain it to me more. Everything ended in a U.S. kind of thing, almost looking like Latin, but it was uh, it was different. It wasn't the kind that I remember being so excited when I was in fourth grade and somebody taught me how to speak pig Latin. I thought that was I should have known I'd be good in foreign language because I got so excited about that. I went over and saying all kind of pig Latin stuff. So, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, male. We talked about bene a few weeks ago, the prefix bene meaning well. Male means ill. And we get words like um, malefactor. A malefactor is somebody who's doing evil, whereas a benefactor is someone doing good. Um, malformation, a bad, um, a, a, an improper form of something like a baby or something. Um, malevolent, wishing bad for people, benevolent, wishing good for people. Uh, Maleficent. Now, I put this one in because I was so fascinated with this when I was in first grade. We went to see the movie Sleeping Beauty. You ever remember that when you were a kid? And the Mm -hmm. the Wicked Witch in that movie came Maleficent, M-A-L-E-F-I-C-E-N-T. And that that would mean evil doing, one who is doing evil. I guess if we wanted to have an opposite, we'd say beneficent. Uh, that <laughs> word does not exist, by the way. If you look that word up in a dictionary, you won't find, at least I didn't find it in mine, but you will find, uh, but, but it does exist in that movie anyway. Uh, you'll see. Multi. Multi is a good one. Everybody knows this one pretty much. Much or many. Multilingual. If you are multilingual, what are you? Speak many languages. You speak many languages. And many I was languages. so excited when I was in 10th grade. That's stupid things that got me excited when I was in. But I was riding in the car with my dad, and the song, there was a song by a group called Proco Harem. Y'all ever heard of that group? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Shades of Grey. And by the way, that He's name is Pig Latin. That name is Weird Latin. It, it means like beyond of these things. The, the name means no makes no sense, really. It's not good Latin. But the, the group was called Procol Harum, which was a, a good a Latin name. And they had a song out called, it was after Whiter Shade of Pale. They had a song out called Hamburg. And the first line of the song goes, You're a multilingual business friend. Has oh, I haven't heard that for ages. Lead. And I remember thinking, multilingual, I know what that means. Many can speak many languages. I was all excited about that, that I, that I knew what that meant just from hearing that song. Now, this from knowing that word multi. Multi. By the way, if you are multilingual, you are also something else. A polyglot. Yep. A polyglot. That's the Greek version of multilingual. Poly, many, glot, tongues. 
tongued. So you either are multilingual or polyglot. Or you're a multilingual polyglot. Or you're a multilingual <laughs> polyglot, right? Or a polyglot multilingual. <laughs> now, I guess a polyglot is more the noun form. And I guess multilingual, well, I guess you could use that as a noun, a multilingual person. I am a multilingual. Yeah. Yeah. Multilingual is a little more of an adjective, or polyglot seems to be more of a noun. But anyway, they pretty much mean the same thing. Multifaceted, something that is multifaceted has many sides. Many facets of yep, your life. Many facets, many faces, if you want to say it that way. How about multiply, or like a multiplication? Yeah, multiply, the pl means, you know, the ply thing means to fold. So many times, many folds, manifold, <laughs> say it that way. And then if you read a lot of science fiction, the multiverse. Okay, that's like the opposite of the universe, right? <laughs> it means there are a whole bunch of universes right, making uh-huh. up the multiverse. That's a good one, Carl. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyone think of any others? A multitude, like a multi-purpose course. room. Multi. We have a multi-purpose room at our church, and what does that mean? It's a gym, and it's a worship area, and it's a lot of different things. So, fellowship hall. So, uh-huh. multi-purpose. Yeah. Well, we see multicultural a lot. Multicultural, meaning yep. you can relate to many different cultures. I was on the multicultural committee when I was a teacher. And multi-handicap. Multi. Well, that's more, that's more, they do call them multi-handicap. Well, I guess it's an abbreviation for, yeah, multiply. Short for multiply handicap. Any other? Okay. Well, as I said, keep these in your mind. Now, non or known, non means not in Latin and anything in England, in English that has the non before it means not. So like nonsense, no sense. Uh, non-entity. A non-entity is something that doesn't exist, or that's not important. Anybody think well, of like any now during COVID, non- they had the non-essential workers. Non-essential workers. Non-essential means they're not essential. Good. Anything else? Don't go back to non-sequitur. Non-sequitur, not following. Doesn't follow. Yeah. Yeah. Non-starter. Non-starter. He's a non-starter. He doesn't do a thing. He doesn't start. Yeah, that's a good one. Any others? Well, again, like I said, keep your eyes open. You might, or keep your blind eyes open. You might see them. Yeah, you so, might be non-compliant. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, non-compliant. The compliant might do it. Non-compliant. If you're non-compliant, you're not compliant. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or like my son was non-verbal for many years. He, he didn't talk. Non-verbal. They, that's right. Not speaking. Right. Yeah. That's not a very hard prefix. I mean, we all know what it means, but it's kind of helpful to know it is a prefix anyway. Non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. Don't judge. Non-sequitur. Isn't there something called non-sequitur? Is that uh, the right Non-sequitur, yes. Well, that's the same. It's That's actually two words, but yes, it doesn't follow. It doesn't follow is what that means. So it makes no sense. And sometimes those things that make no sense are funny simply because of that. Simply because they're so silly, they don't follow. They make they make you laugh. How would you use that in a sentence? Non sequitur. If you say that it's snowing cats and dogs outside, that's a non sequitur, or something okay. like that. How about uh, nonchalant? Nonchalant. Now, golly, they—that's a good one. It, it means not being worried. I don't know what the chalant 
part it means. From the, um, chalet it sounds French, it sounds French. Yeah. What does what does that mean, Carla? Chalet? Like non, it's it's not heated. You know, like a non-heated. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you're cool and calm. Cool, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. Very good. Um. So there's a lot of them. Uh, and, and actually, uh, Chanel, to get back to your question, um, I think the only time you would ever use the, the phrase non sequitur in a sentence is if you were telling someone what a non sequitur is or describe or saying that something they said was a non sequitur. Um, you probably would recognize a non sequitur if you saw it, but you might not call it that if you get okay. what I'm saying. It's a fancy um, way to say no. You know, if you want to be really snobby, say no. Non sequitur. Yeah, yeah, you could, you could say that. You could, you could. Is it like when you, uh, you, you have, somebody's having a conversation with somebody, and somebody comes in and says something that's not, not even related to what they're yep. talking about? That could be a non sequitur. Oh, uh, okay, okay. That could be a non sequitur. It could. Um, a good friend of mine taught me that, and you probably know who she is. <clears throat> I do. I do. <laughs> now. Um, Green Acres. Y'all remember that show, Green Acres? That, that show was yes. full of non-sequiturs. Yes. yes, it, it was. was full of non-sequiturs. And that's why I liked it so much, I think, because it was full of, that'll be $2. I love that guy that played that book. Anyway. Yeah, um, I, I like Green Acres. Yeah. Cool. Ob means against. And you'll notice in my derivatives here that I give mm -hmm. you, it can mean toward, toward or against. That this one changes, it can sometimes be ob, it can sometimes be oaf, or it can sometimes be just o, or it can be ope, or it can be ob. So that's a good example of a prefix that undergoes a lot of what we call assimilation. It changes its last letter to harmonize with the letter of whatever word comes next. And that's called assimilation. So, for example, occur. If something occurs, literally, it runs against you. It just happens to you. It meets you, if you want to say it that way. Offer is something that brings, that bears toward. Uh, fair, the fair means bear, bring. Omit, mit means to send, and o means, uh, to, in this case, that's a rather odd one, I guess, against. So if you send something against something, you may get rid of it. So if you omit something, it doesn't happen. It's not there. Obtain, the 10 part means uh, hold. Uh, and so obtain, you, you, you hold towards something, I suppose you could say. Oppose, you place against. Uh, you place against something. So if you oppose something, you place something against it. So those are the prefixes for this week. So keep them in your mind as you go out and... You might learn a few new words in English because of obstruct. you might like uh, what's obstruct uh, uh, struck stru the struck thing means to build. And if you obstruct, you build something against something. So you keep something from happening. Yeah. Opportunity. Would that be right? With the word opportunity, would that be? Uh, um, that not well, it could be related. There is a word opportunus in Latin, which means um, which means. Uh, how would I say opportune? The same thing as opportune in English. Like, uh, um, I, I can't think of a way to define opportune. Um, 
I'll look that one up for you this week, Dag. Oh, I will. Uh, wow. That's a good one, though. Uh, but opportune means, you know, opportunity is something that you have a chance to do or a ch- that you can be involved in. Something that's yes. opportune is it comes along just at the right time. Um, and, so I suppose, that- and I suppose, Greg, yeah, ope against and port, um, maybe a porto to carry. It brings itself against you just at the right time or it t- toward you. Uh, I'll, I'll check on that, but I think so. That, that be V like, becomes a P. It would in that case, yes. Remember, like same thing with uh, yeah, the yeah, same thing I with know. a pose. Same thing with a pose. Right. So very good. All right, today we're going to learn some. You know what? We're coming to a milestone today because you guys now, after today, know all the present tense forms of regular verbs in Latin, except for a few irregular verbs. You know the present tense and you know the verb to be. Anyone can say the verb to be to me in Latin before we do these new verbs? How do I say I am, you are, he is, we are, you sum are, Sum es, 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 That's right. That's right. Okay. Very good. Um, and today we're going to learn, and next week what I'm going to do, now that we know the present tense of all these verbs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a song next week so that you can get all these verbs kind of together in your mind and uh, and won't, you won't be as confused by them. But today we're going to talk about third I-O verbs. We already talked about regular third conjugation. So we're going to talk about, reg, we're going to talk about third I-O verbs because they end in I-O instead of just O. And we're also going to talk about fourth conjugation verbs, which, which look exactly like third I-O verbs except for some long marks. So basically these third I-O verbs have... I-O in the first person singular and I-U-N-T in the third plural. But other than that, they're done exactly like Ago, August, Agit was last week. And so the infinitive is again E-R-E like it was last week, short E-R-E. And the only way these are different from what you learned last week is that they have I-O and I-U-N-T. So you say copio, copis, copit. Copio means I seize. I grab, or I, well, I take. <laughs> so, copio, coppice, cop it. Uh, copio, excuse me. Copio, coppice, cop it. Copimus, copitus, copiunt. See those I O and I U N T. Copio, copis, copit, copimus, copitus, copion. I O I S I T I M U S I T I S I U N T. By the way, Carla, I think that's where in Italian, isn't there an expression in Italian? Capish? Yes, you understand. Capish. Do you get it? Do you seize it? Do you take it it in? And and while I have the mic, I had a question. I always get this stress thing, and I always did with the Latin mixed up. Mm Is it um, is it capere or capere because it doesn't have the long mark? That's a good point. Yes, if it had the long mark, it would be capere. But since it doesn't have the long mark, it's capere, capere. So the second conjugations are ere. Third conjugations are re. Uh, and that's a good rule to learn anyway. And the rule is: How do you know how to accent a Latin word or how to stress a Latin word? If it's a two-syllable word, the first syllable is always accented, unless it's the word adhuk. Now, you won't remember that, but that's the only exception to it. If it's a more than two-syllable word, look at the word, and if the, sec- if the 
second to the last syllable is long, then accent that. If it isn't, then accent the first syllable. Okay, like, so what we're saying is like in the case of copyright, there's no long mark. So just accent the first syllable. If there were a long mark, then accent the second syllable, like in widere. And that's a way, that's a good rule to learn. You can always, you can take it to the bank. Um, it'll work. Um, now, the, the trick is that a lot of times when you guys see Latin, you might not see a long mark. So then you're, you're in a little trouble then, but uh, that's all right. Okay, like these verbs, like copio or is a kipio, a kipio, a kippere, meaning to receive or accept. It's where we get that from. Cupio, cupere, to desire. We get the word you might see in the Bible, cupidity or concupidity, which means desires, uh, strong desires. Uh, oh, con I was trying to think whether it is concupiscence. Is yep, what concupiscence I is the same word. Yep. Okay, I can even how to pronounce it. It's so uncommon. <laughs> yeah, you don't see it too often, do you? Concupiscence. concupiscence. With, with capture, you can Concup capture, right, too? Yep, concupiscence. capture, seize, seize, capture, take. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's probably the most common. But that verb, when it changes, like acipio is really a form of copio with a prefix on it. And so a lot of times in Latin, when you have these verbs, if you put a prefix on them, the cop changes to kip. Or in the case of the next verb, we're going to do facio. The foc changes to fic when you put another prefix on. All right. Now, this next word sounds not too nice, but it's a perfectly good Latin word. Facio, facere, to do, to make. Uh, Carla, this is where you get aser from. In Spanish, the F oftentimes in Latin will change to an H. Yes, and, and the Italian fare comes from that, you know. Okay, fare. okay. And the French fare. Fare. comes from this, too. Uh, so but we get a lot of derivatives from this. Uh, not so much the F-A-C, oh, the fact, we get fact, you know, to uh, something done is a fact. Factory you know, makes things. Factory makes things. A factotum is a person that can do everything. Or a faction. Faction. A faction is a group of people that are trying to do something. How about faculty? Yep. Faculty is a, a group of people who have the power to do something. Um, like, like in a school. something. What's the rest of the word come from? Faculty. The, the faculty part? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's, it's actually a prefix. The itas is the, the ITY is the ITAS, meaning who, those who do it. Um, I, don't, I don't know how the U relates to that or the F-A-C-U-S. Yes. There's also the word faculty relating to our senses or our faculties. Yeah. And it's the same yeah, word, I is. think, really. Your faculties are what make you be able to do things, you know, what give you the, the ability to do whatever you're doing, I think. So I think it's kind of the same word, except that it's used a little differently when it refers to a faculty of a school. Uh, something that's easy to do is foculus from this same yeah. root, and that's where you get facile, facile. and facilis. Uh, I don't know what else. Uh, Yakio yakare means to throw. Now, remember in Latin, I, the I-A really would be written in modern 
if you're writing in modern times, you'd write a J-A. The I is like the J. And so we get the word projector from this. Interjection, inject, anything that has to do with ject comes from this word. Believe oh, like trajectory? Yep. The trajectory is the path across which something is going or is moving. Now, is there, I know this is a long, but javelin, um, you know, J-A, since, is there any relation at all? Yes, I think so. I don't, I think there is. It's something that is thrown. Now, don't ask me what the valin part is, because I don't know. That's probably from, I bet you a dollar, that's from old English, that part, because it seems like it looks like it to me. But the ja part, I believe, would definitely be from this throw. Rapio rapore, a lot like copio copre, but more violent, to snatch, to grab. Um, we get rape from it. We get uh, rapture. Rap, rapture. The rapture. They're going to grab us out of here, uh, according to belief. <laughs> now, is that any relation to the harpazo in the Greek um, or not? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I don't know. I do not know. But it does mean exactly. How did you know that, Carl? Have you had oh, Greek? Well, my biblical studies, you know, I studied the Bible a lot. I wanted to become a, I'm working on maybe someday being a commissioned lay minister. Goodness sakes. Well, yeah, harpazo is the Greek word for that. Harpazo, yeah. Um, goodness sake, that's amazing. Anyway, um, Fourth conjugation verbs end in, the infinitive ends in I-R-E. These are like in French and in Spanish, your I-R verbs uh, would be. And you pronounce these audio aldire, because they do have a long I-R-E. I don't know if I showed you that or not. Audio means to hear. And so, but the conjugation is exactly like copio, except for the long mark. So you say audio aldis, aldit, aldimus. Auditus, audiunt. Notice the way the accent works there, Carl. You were asking audio, and you say audis. You kind of hold it. You don't accent it, but you hold it. Audis, audit. But you do accent audimus, auditus, audiunt. Uh, so it the, the counter. Really it seems counterintuitive. It always has for me with you know, like Audis and Audit. Yes, because Audis. you want to say Audis. Yes. That's what you want to say. But the trouble is the first syllable is long too. The AU is long. It's so you've got to kind of long. compensate on that. So you got to say Audis. But you kind of you kind of accent them kind of the same. They're, what it is with Latin, both it's like music. Both those syllables are half notes. Audis. So you kind of hold them out. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about poetry in a little bit. Yet, when you give the command, it's like audite. It's you know, audite. 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 See, audite. really, yeah, because that's got a long, well, I think it's got a long eye on it. Audite. I have to look at it, but I believe it does. I've had trouble. Listen, I had trouble with this too because I learned Latin for years before I really learned this rule. And my Latin professor is the one that kind of pointed it out to me that I was mispronouncing some words because our high school teacher did a great job. She mostly did very well. There were a few, but, but there were a few things she didn't insist on as much as she maybe should. Well, let's look at some other verbs. Audio, of course, we get audible. Anything that's audible is hearable. Uh, an audit, if you get an audit from Uncle Sam, you, they check up on your financial, they hear you, they give you a hearing. Uh, audition, an audition is 
somebody's hearing you to see if you're good enough to be involved in something. Or an audience. An audience, audience. is, yeah. Now, if you get an audience, you get a hearing with someone. Auditory. Mm-hmm. Auditory, auditory, yeah. Auditory. Aud- your auditory senses. Um, in fact, yeah, so all those come from that word. And like audio, like audio are dormio, dormire, to sleep. And of course, if you know French and Spanish, both those languages have dormir. Yeah. And Italian has dormire, <laughs> you know, oh, diary. It? Yes, it does. That's really okay. Same, right? Same. Yeah, it does. And then that's where you get words like dormitory and dormant. Dormitory, a place you sleep. Dormer, a dormer is a thing they built, uh, they build to make a bedroom upstairs uh, that you can have, uh, like a thing you do to the roof. Um, so dormer, dormitory, dormant, dormant, something that's dormant lies sleeping. Yeah. All that. Um, munio munire means to fortify. We get the word munitions, ammunition. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, municipal. Municipal. Good. Municipal. Um, all that. How would you trace municipal to fortify? Well, what does municipal mean? It means what? It's sort of like the public, you know, like the municipal grounds. Okay, so it's, yeah, uh, it's the public, the government is, is responsible for making things strong for protection. Okay. And so municipal, it's something that it protects. It, it's a, it's, it, they're in charge and they're in charge to protect you. I believe is the way that works. Now, I really should look that up in, in a day. Di- I got a new dictionary now, so I can look things up better. So maybe I should look, I'm supposed to look up that and I'm supposed to look up. What else was it? Something else we were going to, I was going to look up for you this week. Oh, uh, I'll think of it after a while. Maybe think of it if you can. Yeah. Do, well, I, I like to, I'd like to check on that, um, no, but I think I that's don't. the idea. She's saying uh, Maleficent, but I don't think you had it. I thought that's what you had said you were going to look up. No, I looked up Maleficent. It wasn't in the dictionary, but I know what it means. But it, it's a name in Disney. It's a, you know, it's a name they made up, I guess. Anyway, right. I'll think of it. I'll look. I'll look. Well, but I've it. heard the name Malfeasance. Mal- okay, Malfeasance is yeah, Malfeasance. Now that one, the Mal is you're you're right. It means it means doing things in office that are incorrect, doing things ba- badly, incorrectly. You could say. Um, it was interpret. Uh, maybe that is what maybe that is what it was. Yeah, interpret. I think it was. So oh, I yeah, I think two. so. Yeah. Punio, punire, to punish. And you guys get in Spanish and in French both, punir. Uh, in French, it's punir. Is it in Spanish? I think it is. To punish. I think. And uh, punitive. Uh, we we oh, say castigar, but yeah, and, and that's another thing. I think there is a difference, and I can't uh, put my finger on it between punir and um, castigar. I think cast, I bet castigar is more violent, like it's whipping someone, or I don't and know that for sure. It's but. one of them, I believe, isn't the castig? One of them is the um, what we call the vulgar Latin, and the other one's more the classical or something. Yeah, that's probably true. Although Costigo, yeah, that could be true because there, there's a there's a famous, didn't we? Maybe we had it in here. Quis bene amat bene Costigat. Did I ever teach you that sentence? Yes. yes. It means who loves well punishes well, and that probably comes from the Bible. So that might be more vulgar Latin, whereas the punir is more classical Latin. That could be. Harry, 
You have 20 minutes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm almost done with this part. Uh, punitive was a word we get from this punir, and there probably are a few other for a few other ones. Uh, the words like penal, like the penal code, that comes from poina, which is the noun form, meaning to punish. Poina means punishment, and that P-O-E-N-A. Skio skire. No, it doesn't mean to ski. It means to know. And this is where we get science from, because someone said, you know, you think science is knowing something, uh, really knowing it, supposedly, anyway. Uh, Wenio, venire, to come. And this is where in French you get veneer, in Spanish you get veneer. But in Latin, it's a totally regular verb. Wenio, wenis, wenit, wenimus, wenitus, wenian. Whereas in, in French and Spanish, it's kind of irregular. That's in French Italian, is it is too, you know, because you, you, you have the same thing in Italian and you have the vango in Italian as well. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that comes from, because in Spanish you have the vango, whereas in French it's viens, viens, viens. Etc. And mm-hmm. if you know Wenio, you know in Wenio, in Wenio, in Wenire, to come upon or to find. And that's where we get invention from. Is everybody going to know what that Vango is? That oh, Vango is the first person singular to say I come in Spanish and evidently Vango. in Italian. Vango. Right. NGO. Yeah. And the, thing is, the other thing that's interesting is um, other words that come. Um, from come, okay, like advent. Yes, advent, a, an, an arrival. Adwenio means to arrive, and so advent is the arrival of Christ. You're waiting for that. And yes, and, and um, intervene. If, if I intervene, I come between you and something else. It's a little bit like intercede, really. Um, I'm sure there are other ones, Lowell. What were you supposed to be looking up? What was that and last Prevent one? and prevent come before. Prevent to come before yes. something happens to come before. If you prevent something from happening, you get in the way of it happening. Come before it can happen. Yeah. The pry there. That's, I think we had that. Pre- no, maybe we haven't had that one yet. We're getting ready to have it. Now we have some exercises on these verbs and you guys can do them and I'll give you the answers to them next week. And before we, uh, talk about the Trojan War, I want to talk about something that we're going to do this week that we've never done really before. You guys now, believe it or not, you've gotten to the point now where you can read some real Latin, some Latin written by a real Latin author. And so for next week, I've also given you three little tiny poems by a Latin author whose name is Marshall. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this guy, Marshall, kind of an interesting guy. He was born Carla. He's really Carla. He may be, you might be able to call him one of the first Spanish authors because he was born in Spain, born in Bill Billis, Spain, wherever that is. Um, and he came to Rome. He, he was born about what? One, about 30, 30 something uh, AD. And he came to Rome. Uh, his family, a whole bunch of his family had already gone to Rome. Some of his cousins, some of them were like Seneca, who was another Spanish author. I guess he's the first Spanish author, uh, really. Uh, Seneca and a guy named Lucan and a couple other people uh, were his relatives. And so he decided to go to Rome and he thought he'd have it made. Man, he get to Rome, he'll have it made. He's got all these relatives that are high up in Nero's court. He's going to have it made. He's going to be swinging on a star when he gets to Rome. But guess what? 
when he gets to Rome, something very chilling happens. All of his relatives got convicted of being guilty in a conspiracy against Nero and were put to death. So he can't exactly go Uh-oh. up and say, hi, oh, guess what? I'm related to such and such. Well, he just got killed. Are you in the conspiracy too? You know, so he had to kind of lay low and just not make it obvious he's related to these guys. And so he comes into Rome and he lives in pretty poor circumstances for a while. But as sooner or later, he does come to the notice of the emperors, some of the other emperors, Domitian and uh, Titus, and they treat him very well because of his poetry. But he writes a funny kind of poetry that we that you all don't know much about today, probably. He writes what are called epigrams. Now, an epigram originally was a writing written on a tombstone. In other words, when someone dies that you loved, you would try to come up with a, a, a neat little saying to put on their tombstone. So the, the word epigram means written on, epigram. Um, and then people like an it. epitaph, huh? Yeah, a little bit like an epitaph, actually similar to an epitaph. <laughs> but people then started thinking, these, these poems are too good to waste, <laughs> to waste on a tombstone. Why don't we start writing them for everyday life? And they did. And Marshall was an expert on these, and he, he published a whole bunch of them. And what they are is most of them, at least. They will say something in the first line, and then in the, in the later lines, there will be like a surprise, something you won't expect. And sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're, they're built on wordplay. Sometimes it's not so much humor as it is wordplay, but oftentimes it is humor. Let me give you an example of some English epigrams. Here's an English epigram uh, about Charles I. Here lies our sovereign Lord the King, whose word no man relies on, who never did, who never said a foolish thing, nor ever did a wise one. See, it's kind of a surprise. Uh, you, you sort of get a hint about it when it says, whose word no man relies on, who never, uh, who never did a foolish, who never said a foolish thing, nor ever did a wise one. That's an epigram. Here's another one. This is, I think it's John Milton on to his wife. He wrote this to his wife. Here lies my wife. Well, let her lie. Now she's at rest and so am I. Uh, not, not very nice, not very nice, but that's an epigram. And so epigrams always have like that little, little thing at the end of them. And so I gave you three of them. And I thought, I thought we might do the first one together just to show you the kind of thing we have here. Now, these epigrams don't expect them to rhyme. Latin poetry does not rhyme, but it has a rhythm to it. Um. And these particular poems are in what's called the elegiac couplet meter. So the first line is a dactylic hexameter. That means it could be long, short, short, six times, or long, long, six times, or any combination thereof. However, they usually end with, the line usually ends with long, short, short, long, long. So it usually ends with a dun-dun-dun-dun sound, except it's not done like that. It's done by holding notes. It's like done by holding long notes versus quarter notes. Now, the second line is, is a lot like often clickety, clickety, clack, clickety, clickety, clack. It's like dun, da, 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 da. And you'll see how it sounds. And so it doesn't rhyme, but it has a rhythm. I'm going to read the first poem to you, which is called I Don't Like You. 
non amo te sabidi nec posum dicere quare, hoc tantum posum dicere non amo te. Now see, in that case, the first line pretty much goes, non amo te sabidi, a lot of long syllables there. Blah, 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 blah. Very, very, so long, 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 long. Let's see. Okay. Non amo. Long, 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 long. So they're all long. Long, 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 short, short, long, long. So they're all long, long, except for the fifth one. Non amo te sabidi nec posum dicere quare. And then the second line is pretty much, well, it's actually not quite like clickety, clickety, clack. It's more like click, 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 clack. Clickety clickety clack. So it goes non post non tantum posum dicere non amote. Now, um, so let's see what it means. It's not too hard a poem. Non amote. What's that mean? I don't love you. I don't love you. Or I don't like you. Know, but the thing is, I'm curious about something. Is it, it, the long marks are just there to show us where to stress because they wouldn't normally be there, would they? In real Latin, no. And in college Latin textbooks, they often aren't. In high school textbooks, they usually are. But yes, but to make it easier to scan, if I made you scan the line, which is to tell me which syllables are long and which ones are short, uh, it would help you to have them. So uh, I don't like you, Sabidius. Sabidi is that vocative case we had last week in our story when you directly address someone. I don't like you, Sabidius. Nec posum dicere quare. What? Nec means and not or nor. Can I say why? Nor can I say why. Now, let's stop right there. You guys have all had. We, it's not a nice thing, and we don't like to be like this. But every one of you have had people in your life that you just don't like. Right. Right. Yep. It might not be that they even did anything to you or maybe they did. You, we all have people in our lives we just don't care for. OK. And so that's what Marshall is saying. I don't like you and I don't know why I don't like you. you didn't do anything to me necessarily. I don't know why. OK. Now, in the second line, what does he say? He says, hoc tantum posum decorrect. And I give you a footnote on that. Hoc tantum posum. I can, I can only, say only this. I can say only this. Now, you expect him to say what? I don't like you and I can't say why. I can only say this. You're really not a bad guy. You might expect him to say that. Or you might expect him to say. Hey, that rhymed. I don't like you and I cannot say why. I can only say this. You're horrible or something. You know, or, or maybe a lot of people don't like you. Or you don't expect him. What you don't expect him to say really is. I don't like you. You don't expect them to end like that. That it's it's kind of okay. You already said it, but but I think what he's saying there is that's all there is to it. There's nothing else to say. I just don't like you, and that's it. And so that's an example of an epigram. Um, and I'll let you guys work on the next two uh, for next week if you want to do them. Make them. Um, Gary, you can translate them. Yes. This is Aaron. Um, 
So there is a site called Poetry of Ancient Rome, and um, it has uh, Marshall and Ovid and uh, some others, less other less known uh, poets. And um, there are several examples of um, Marshall's epigrams. Um, this comes with the warning that some of them are not too flattering, but if you want to check them out, they are there. I would. Would you send me the link for that, or do you have a link for it, or the, the sure. site? Yeah, sure please. I, I would love to look, listen to that. I wonder if it's in. Is it read in Latin or in English or both? Um, I believe they have uh, the Latin and then some translations. I believe. I would love that. I would love that. I would I, love I've just it. used it as a reference point um, for when I'm writing. So. That's so, great. Yeah, sure. That's I'll great. send it to you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. Okay. Um, so again, I'm just going to read that poem to you one more time. Non amo te sabidi, nec posum dicere quare, hoc tantum posum dicere non amo te. Okay, so you can hear it's got a little rhythm to it, but it's uh, not rhyming. All right, now, I wonder what time it is. We'll talk a little bit um, about the truth. You have... You got about five minutes. You have six minutes. Okay. Well, that will get us into this. Um, last week, we were talking about Sinon. Does anyone remember who Sinon was? <laughs> Does anyone remember what was going on in the Trojan War last week? What had happened? Remember, the Trojans and the Greeks are still fighting, but no one is winning. Okay, so the Greeks come up with this idea, right? And what is that idea? Oh, they build that horse. They build a big horse. And they're going to try to get the Trojans to take this horse into the city. Why? Because what's inside of the horse? Soldiers. People, men. Yeah, some men, some soldiers. And so they're going to hope to get the horse in there. Then they can come out and open the gates and let the whole army back the whole army in and hopefully it happens at night. And so when the city wakes up in the morning, all these Greeks will be running around in the city. So uh, that's what they're hoping to do. By the way, did you know there was a virus on the computer at one time called the Trojan horse? No, there was. <laughs> and the idea of it was if it gets in your system, then it can wreak havoc. And there, there actually was a, a virus called that. Um, so anyway, uh, so the Greeks then build this great big horse and they take, they steal this thing that the Trojans thought protected their city. It's like a talisman they had called the Palladium. They steal that out of the city so that the Trojans now will feel kind of vulnerable. And then they sail away. They just leave. And so when the Trojans wake up one morning, there's nothing there. And so they go out and they wonder what this horse is but the greeks aren't stupid because they know there's a good chance the trojans won't do anything with the horse or might throw it into the sea or might break it open and find these men inside so they've got to get them to take it inside the city so they station a spy that they that lets himself be found by the trojans he, he deliberately gets caught and his purpose is to get the trojans to take the horse into the city and this man's name is Sinon. And Sinon tells a very complicated story. But before I tell you what he says, let me tell you some truths. He's related to Ulysses. He's going to pretend that he and Ulysses are enemies. 
or Odysseus. Uh, in, in, in this story, he's called Ulysses because we're looking at it from a Roman point of view. Ulysses is the Roman name. Odysseus is the Greek name, the cleverest of the Greeks. Remember, that's who we're talking about. Sinon is really related to him and as, is very clever, but he's going to pretend for the sake of his story that he and Ulysses are enemies. His story also depends on another thing that happened that everybody knew had happened. Remember when Ulysses was pretending to be insane before the war ever started and he would put his son in front of the plow and someone said, I'm sorry, they put his son in front of the plow to see if he really was insane and he didn't plow him under. Remember that? The guy that did that was a guy named Palamedes. And so Ulysses is an enemy of Palamedes. And when he can, he gets him killed. He brings him up on a false charge of treason. He plants some stuff in his tent, says that he's betraying them to the Trojans and has him killed. That was true. That had actually happened. And the Trojans knew it had happened. That had happened earlier in the Trojan War. And so he's going to take those two. He's going to take that truth and he's going to build a story based on that truth. Okay. And so, you know, one of the strongest, if you want to tell a lie, mix a little truth with it. And it's more believable. You know, if my kid told me I was late because there was a flood down at the gym and there really was one, I might believe it. But if he said I was late and then gives me some reason that I know, you know, I don't know anything about it, I'm, I'm less likely to believe. It. So you, you can notice that if you mix a little truth with your lie, it makes a lot stronger lie, a lot more believable a lie. All right. I think we should stop because I, before I get into his story, which is very detailed, uh, I think we probably should stop. Yeah, please try. Minutes. Please try to do your homework if you can. That is the exercises, and try to do the last two poems if you can. And um, you might even look at Aaron's uh, site she was talking about. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe that poem, one of those poems, is on there. You never know, and that would make your work easy for you. Um, but anyway, next week, we'll, we'll look at that. And next week, I'm going to teach you a verb song to help you put all these verbs together. And uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, and then you'll never forget how to conjugate your present tense verbs. All right. Any other questions this week? No, but thank you for getting those notes out early. Thank I'll try again. I'll try again very hard. I will, uh, because I do think it helps us to have them. All right. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Melissa, very much. Check for the recordings, guys. Thank you. Thank you for doing this.